I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewes.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the two-page article I wrote and published on my Substack at rabbishnewes.substack.com on October 27th, 2023. And the article is entitled Lech Lecha. Avraham's origin story and the Torah's silence. And in case you're wondering, I'm recording this on Tuesday, October 24th, uh, when I am still sick, which is why my voice sounds like this. Ask a typical Jew who received a typical Jewish day school education to share what they know about the early years of Avraham Avinu. They'll likely tell you about how Avraham discovered Hashem at a young age and spread knowledge of monotheism throughout the land, or how he smashed his father's idols or how he was thrown into a fiery furnace for his beliefs and was miraculously saved. The problem is that the written Torah doesn't say anything about any of this. Avram makes his first appearance at the end of Parshas Noah. He is presented as an offspring of Terach in an utterly unremarkable manner. Here is an excerpt from Breshis chapter 11, Psukim 26 through 32. Quote, Terach lived 70 years and he fathered Avram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the descendants of Terach. Terach fathered Avram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died before his father Terach in the land of his birth in Urkastim. Avram and Nahor took for themselves wives. The name of Avram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Yiscah. Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terach took his son Avram and his grandson Lot to the son, sorry, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of Avram, and they set out with them from Urkastim to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelled there. The days of Terach were 205 years, and Terach died in Haran. End quote. A reader with no prior knowledge of the, neck of the text, who stopped reading here, would have no inkling that this son of Terach would go on to become a main character, and certainly not one who would change world history. Yet, in the very next verse, seemingly out of the blue, Hashem speaks to Avram and promises him greatness. Quote, this is Breshis chapter 12, Psukim 1 through 3, beginning of Lech Lecha. Hashem said to Avram, go forth from your land and from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you should be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and one who curses you, I will curse and all the families of the land will be blessed through you. End quote. The question is, why is the written Torah silent about Avraham's backstory? Why wouldn't it mention the noble qualities and achievements which prompted Hashem to choose him? What are we to infer from this silence? This question has bothered me every year for as long as I can remember. I was never able to find a satisfactory answer, nor could I think of one myself. This year, I thought of a new possibility. What if the Torah didn't need to tell us Avraham's backstory? After all, the Torah wasn't given to non-Jews. It was given to the offspring of Avraham. Perhaps the Torah is silent because it expected its readers to be sufficiently familiar with these events. Turns out, Rav David Tzvi Hoffman raises the question that has bothered me and gives this very answer. Uh, this is a quote from Rav David Tzvi Hoffman's introduction to Parshat Lech Lecha. Quote, Avraham certainly showed himself worthy for this designation before it was entrusted to him, which happened when he was already 75 years old. However, the Torah doesn't tell us anything about Avraham during his youth. Everything we know about those years is only from later Agados, homilies. Indeed, we may ask, how can it be that the Torah doesn't even hint at any of this? Why exactly was Avraham chosen by Hashem? 
Why does the Torah instead take us directly into the events through which Hashem promised Avraham a name and a reputation? In contrast, by Noah, it was apparently necessary to announce at the outset that, quote, Noah was a righteous man, etc., end quote, from Breshi 6.9, so that his salvation from the floodwaters wouldn't arouse bewilderment. This answer has two parts. The first is that the reputation and greatness of Avraham Avinu was well known to the generation that received the Torah, such that it was unnecessary to provide descriptions of his youth or his merits in order for them to recognize it. The second is that the deeds of Avraham Avinu, as described in the subsequent partios, are sufficient to paint a picture of his character. He built altars to Hashem wherever he went, he separated from his family, i.e. Lot, in order to establish peace, and even endangered himself for his sake. He withstood all the trials that Hashem tested him with. He fulfilled the mitzvahs of Hashem. His sole yearning was to bequeath fear of God to his offspring after him. For someone whose qualities and deeds such as these are recounted, uh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, sorry. For someone whose qualities and deeds such as these are recounted, it would be un it would be utterly unnecessary to provide a specific introduction to demonstrate that he was worthy of his designation as Hashem's chosen one. End quote from Rav David Tzvi Hoffman. In short, the Torah's primary readers were sufficiently familiar with Avraham Avinu's backstory from their own oral history and didn't need a recap. Instead, the written Torah, which is a record of the Hashgacha, providence on the children of Israel, begins its narrative at the point where that Hashgacha commences. Go forth from your land, etc. Once that story is underway, the Torah highlights other noteworthy deeds of Avram Avinu so we can learn from his character, but there was no need to do so before the account of the Hashgacha began. This answer has prompted me to rethink one of the core principles of my own approach to, to learning Pshat, the straightforward meaning of the text, which I adopted from the Rabag. Unlike Rashi and Ramban, Rabag rejects as Pshat any open miracles which are not openly mentioned in the text. See my uh, article entitled Shemos, 70 Souls and 70 Perspectives for more on that topic. He reasons that, quote, the Torah would not have remained silent from mentioning an open miracle explicitly since it is its custom to publicize the concept of miracles. End quote from Rabag. That's from the Bir Hamilos on Shemos 2.1. See also Shemos 9.33, Yehoshua 10.12 and elsewhere. Presumably, this is how Rabag would account for the Torah's omission of the story about Avraham's miraculous salvation from the fiery furnace. He would maintain that such a miracle never happened. If such a miracle did happen, the text would have mentioned it explicitly, just like it mentions the miraculous salvation of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah when they were thrown into a fiery furnace and miraculously saved. See Daniel chapter 3. I now realize that even if one agrees with the Rabag in general, Rav David Tzvi Hoffman's approach provides a basis for saying that a miracle of this nature could have happened, but the Torah still didn't mention it because it was already known to the initial recipients. This approach is taken by the Ibn Ezra, who shares the Rabag's stance on open miracles, but who nevertheless comments, quote, Our early sages said that Avraham was thrown into a fiery furnace. This was not mentioned in scripture. Nevertheless, if it is a tradition, we will accept it as words of Torah. End quote. It is possible that Rabag that the Rabag would be open to accepting Rav David Tzvi Hoffman's answer. In the, in the very first paragraph of his commentary on Breshis, see the Hakdam and Tepartius Breshis, Chelek Aleph, Rabag writes that the Torah addressed itself to, quote, the people who lived in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, end quote, in an effort to correct, quote, the opinions of those people due to the fact that science was exceedingly underdeveloped at that time, end quote. If the Torah's contents were determined in part by deficiencies in the knowledge of its first audience, then it stands to reason that the Torah might also take into consideration the knowledge they possessed. If there was already a thriving oral tradition about the founder of Israel, 
there would be no need for the Torah to restate that information for them. But the real takeaway for me isn't about the Rav Bag or Rav David Hoffman's answer to my question. The real takeaway is a greater awareness of the question, who was the Torah writing this for? A question that has come to occupy an increasingly centralized position in my learning and continues to yield insight. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.